This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. To Acts chapter 9. Book of Acts chapter 9. This is relating to Saul's conversion on the road to Damascus. Verse 10. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> sorry, and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. Let's just stop there. None of us, I'm sure, has ever had a conversion experience like Saul of Tarsus. It was extremely dramatic, to say the least. The Lord audibly speaking, being struck blind, seeing visions, having hands laid on and immediately filled with the Holy Spirit. But nevertheless, all of her testimonies are unique in their own way. God came to all of us at some time, some place, somewhere, and he moved upon our hearts and he changed us. So on that basis, what was said to Saul of Tarsus here, what was said to him, I believe, can resonate in our hearts also. Not that we're putting ourselves as someone like him, but just what was said to him, I think, could apply to us today. First of all, in verse 15, he was chosen to bear his name. And we are chosen to bear his name. What a privilege. What an honor it is to be called a Christian, a follower of Christ, a Christ-like person. You know, it's only mentioned about three times in the New Testament, uh, the term Christian. 
And initially, it looks as if it was a, a derogatory term. It was a, like a nickname. It was a put down. Uh, but God had different ideas. Hallelujah. And then it became the standard for those who were believers and saints and their brethren, which is terms that was used much more to be called, down through history, Christians. So those of us who know and we love the Lord today are called to bear his name. Now, we live in a world that uh, counts names very important, designer names, and uh, will pay the price for certain brands, uh, whether that means that we wear it or drive it or smell it or eat it. Names are important today to people. Think of Calvin Klein or Armani Suits or Chanel or Yves Saint Laurent or whatever. Ferrari, Ford, BMW, names. And yet the greatest designer of all, the creator of the ends of the earth, has chosen us to bear his name, to bear his brand. It's a privilege, actually, an honor to be called a Christian. We know now that today, again, uh, often that name has got connotations, and we're put down for it. But nonetheless, it is a great honor and privilege. Do you realize that one day, even though right now we bear that name, uh, in a sense, I suppose, mystically or even metaphorically, but do you realize that one day we will actually, literally bear that name? This is what it says in Revelation chapter 22. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. Eternally, forever stamped, sealed, branded with that name that is above every name. What a privilege. What an honor. Chosen to bear his name. Verse 16, but we're also chosen to bear the shame. I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Chosen to bear the shame. Not that we believe that it's a shame to bear that name. Not that we think that, but rather that the world tries to shame us. The world thinks it's a shame and wants to put us down and call us odd bods, strange people. In Acts 18, Paul was preaching in Athens, 
and they called him a babbler. Let's hear what this babbler has got to say. And he was mocked. In Acts 24, in his defense before Felix the governor, Tertullus, who was his accuser, he called him a plague. Imagine being called a plague. A creator of dissension among the Jews and throughout the whole world. A ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. And again, we're living in a day where we are being, in a sense, isolated and name-called. Let me tell you, just about all persecution starts with name-calling and isolating. When you read history, you'll see that. And it was no different then. In Acts 26, in Paul's defense before King Agrippa, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. <laughs> Jesus himself, the master, was called a wine-bibber, a drunkard, a blasphemer. They said he was in league with the devil. He casts out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of the demons. And so the world will try to shame us by calling us names for being a Christian. And if they do, we are in good company. Amen? Amen. And Acts chapter 5. Verse 12. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Yet none of the rest dared join them. But the people esteemed them highly. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. So that the Lord brought the sick out into the, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing might fall on some of them. And also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. And the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation, and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison, but at night an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest and those who were with him came and called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and did not find them in the prison, they returned and reported, saying, Indeed, we have found the prison shut securely and the guards standing outside before the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. So one came and told them, saying, Look, the men whom you put in prison were standing in the temple teaching the people. Then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. 
And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. The high priest asked him, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in his name, in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be the prince and savior and to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are as witnesses to these things, and so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And then when you read on down in verse 40, Gamaliel, the, who was the, the greatest teacher of his day among the Pharisees, he said, listen, uh, don't touch these men. Just leave them alone. And they agreed with him, verse 40. And when they had called for the apostles, and they beat them, and commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus, and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. If somebody laughs at us, if somebody name calls us, if somebody ostracizes us from their company, we are in good company. Because that's what happened to the disciples and it's happened to Christians down through the generations we're chosen to bear his name we're chosen to bear the shame and we're chosen to bear the flame Ananias was called to lay hands on him and for him to be filled with the Holy Spirit hallelujah in Acts 2, 3, and 4, when the Holy Spirit came upon the 120 in the upper room, it says there was divided tongues of fire that sat upon their heads. Now, we know that didn't repeat itself historically because it was symbolic, letting us know that the flame, the fire of the Holy Spirit was in them. And we are called to bear the flame the flame of God gives light, it gives life. Life illuminates. Some will be drawn to the light that is in us. Glory to God. There is a light in us. And people doesn't understand, but some will be drawn to that light. They will be drawn to us, they may not know why, but the Holy Spirit has been working in their hearts. And there's a light in us that they'll be drawn to that's the flame of God Matthew chapter 5 Jesus said that we are the light of the world a city set on a hill cannot be hid let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father which is in heaven. Paul says we are the sons of light. We are the children of light. Walk as children of light. When the Holy Spirit came into our lives, light came in. Revelation came in. And people are drawn to the light. People are in darkness. 
terrible darkness and they need light. They need someone to show them the way. And we are the ones to do that. We're chosen to bear the flame. We are filled vessels that he may be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, my, li- my wife likes nice things. <laughs> Didn't necessarily say expensive things, but nice things. And I believe she's got great taste. But I'm a very practical person, and she, I always say, it's style over substance. If it's nice and looks good, well, that would look lovely on the mantelpiece. And that would look lovely in the sideboard. My first thought is, do we need that? <laughs> you know what I mean, men? Any, any amens from the men there? All right, okay. We're singing to the same hymn sheet then. But there's nothing wrong with a nice vase or vase, whatever you want to call it. There's nothing wrong with that. And it may be ceramic, it may be made of metal or made of glass or whatever, and it's beautifully fashioned, it's, it's very skillfully done, it's just beautiful, and it just sits nice, and it looks good. Nothing wrong with that. And it's fancy, but it's not functional. It's nice, but it's not necessary or needful. But the vessels that God wants, he wants them to be functional and needful. He wants them to be filled. There's a purpose for our vessels on earth. And the purpose is that we be filled with God's spirit. That's the purpose. Be not drunk with the wine wherein is access, Paul said, but be filled with the Spirit. Acts 2 and 4, they were all filled with the Spirit. Functional, needful, necessary, filled. Now here's an interesting thing. Acts 2 and 4, they were all filled with the Spirit. Acts 4.31, the same people. And Acts 4.31, the same people, it says, were all filled with the Spirit. Again. How can we be filled and yet need further filling? There's a question for you. How can we be filled and yet need further filling? Filling. Do we leak? (laughs) Does the Spirit of God leave us a little every day? Are we filled to a certain level and then somehow, somewhere, the level drops like the water in your radiator or the petrol in your tank or the air in your tires? Well, let me suggest, let me make a suggestion to you tonight as a way of an answer. Our bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit. And within our bodies 
is our spirit and our soul. And they are the receptacles. And as we move on in our Christian life and experience our spirit and our soul increases its capacity to understand the revelation of God. There is so much more we need to understand, isn't there? I said this morning, after all these years I've been saved and after all these years I've been preaching, I fully realize that there's a lot more I need to know and understand. There's a lot more revelation I need. It's a continual thing. But as we grow in our capacity and our understanding in our revelation of God, in our capacity to love God and to accommodate more of the Spirit of God, then you're constantly needing to be filled and being filled to the level of that increased capacity. A pint of water will fill a pint pot, but it won't fill a quart jug, sure it won't. And God will fill as much as we can hold. And so there is an increased capacity. When we say we need more of the Spirit, what are we actually saying? We need to increase our capacity for more of God's Spirit, for more of that revelation, for more of that knowledge, for more of that understanding, for more of His strength, for more of His power, for more of His direction, for more of His guidance. What's all this being filled for about? The Apostle Paul, immediately he was filled. He began to preach Christ. And he began to teach the synagogues. There came a boldness to preach Christ, to witness for the Lord and to be his witness. And so whenever we are filled with God's Spirit, then there is a boldness to share Christ. Listen to what happened. You remember in the day of Pentecost how that the 120 were filled with the Spirit and Peter suddenly had a boldness that he never had before. And he went out to that great crowd and he preached the greatest message that any man could ever preach. And thousands of people responded because that was the Holy Spirit empowering him, enabling him. And then after all of that, and after they were often hauled, and we read a moment ago, hauled before these religious courts. I like this bit in Acts 4. For it said, for truly against your holy servant Jesus, 
whom he anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your pur purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal, that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Note this, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Anybody that's filled with the Holy Spirit will find a new boldness to share Christ. It's not for goosebumps. It's not for hair rising the back of your neck. Those are emotional things that can happen. It's for a boldness to share Christ, to be his witness, to live such a life that will be a witness for Jesus. Primarily, when you're filled with the Spirit, that's what to happen. I've never been in a prayer meeting where the building has been shaken together. How would you like to be in a prayer meeting like that? Eh? Do you think that would ever happen? Amen. That has happened in revivals where people physically felt a shaking. I think that would scare the life out of most of us, wouldn't it? But it shows you there is power, doesn't it? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus said, because he has anointed me to do what? Ha! Huh to heal the brokenhearted, to set the captives free, restoring the sight to the blind. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. When Jesus came out of those temptations, the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. His ministry really took off, didn't it? There was such power and authority. Philippians 1.11 talks about being filled with the fruits of righteousness. Romans 15, Colossians 1, filled with all knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Something happens to the believer when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. And there's a continual filling and infilling. Continual. And we should be asking the Lord for that continual infilling of God's Spirit. Amen. Amen. We're sanctified vessels. Saul of Tarsus was set apart. He was going to be the apostle to the Gentiles. Isn't that interesting? Peter was the apostle to the Jews. Paul became the apostle to the Gentiles. You think, surely if anybody knew about the Jewish religion, it would be the apostle Paul, and God sent him to ones who knew nothing about anything. And he sent Peter, the fisherman, the unskilled, who had never been sitting at the feet of a rabbi, he sent him to the Jews so that God would get the glory in all of it. And so he was simply sanctified. He was set apart. 
Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 20 and 21. Listen to what he says. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also wood and clay, some for honor, some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, the wood and the clay, that is, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Now, let me just explain that just for a moment, because the next thing I'm going to say to you, if I don't explain this, it's going to sound contradictory. So I better explain it. And Paul hears... Uh, writing here to Timothy, and he's saying about this great house. What does he mean by this great house? I think he's talking here about the church, actually. You know, when Paul, when he, when he writes to the church and he writes to pastors in the New Testament, you'll find very often he's dealing with lots of issues, and one of the great issues of his day was false teaching and false teachers. By this time, they had infiltrated almost all of the churches everywhere. And it was a great problem. And so when Paul writes, he has to deal with it. And he's writing to this young pastor, Timothy, because it was a problem for him. And if you read the section of Scripture just before what we read in 2 Timothy chapter 2, that gives you the context for it. Listen to what he says. In verse 14, remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord, not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Every preacher, every pastor, every minister should be able to rightly divide the word of truth. If we can't rightly divide it, we shouldn't be behind a pulpit. Can somebody say amen to that? Amen. That's what her job is, to rightly divide the word of truth. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenius and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows who are his and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house, there is. See the context. In fact, if you read on, even after the part we read, he talks about flee also youthful lusts and pursue righteousness and faith and love and peace and those who call on the name of the Lord out of a pure heart, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient and humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. So, in a great house, in the church, the church, not a, the church, there is the wheat and there's the tares. There's the true and there's the false. We need to be careful. 
And Paul said to Timothy, make sure that you separate yourself from the false and from the profane babblings and from the nonsense and make sure you stick to the truth. Then you will be a golden vessel unto me. You and I, not just the preachers, but us as believers need to know the truth. And we need to share the truth. And we need to explain the truth. I was somewhere recently. I'll tell you where. Somewhere recently. I was in a crowd of believers. And the subject came up about the authority of the Bible. And a gentleman in that group said to me, because the discussion at that point was talking about creation. And so he began to say, well, you know, the Bible is it's full of contradictions. This is a believer I'm talking about. It's full of contradictions. And I says, well, saying we've been talking about creation, what would you make of in the beginning God? Because the whole discussion was about the Big Bang. I said, well, what would you make of it in the beginning, God? Well, I, I, don't, I, I don't know about that. Uh, because the Bible's full of contradictions. And, and you know, there's various views. And, and I'm sitting thinking, now, I, I was just a guest there, so I, I, I so wanted to say a whole lot of things, but I, uh, I really had to bite my tongue, you know. And I'm thinking, you know, wait a minute. Hold on a minute here. This book is God-breathed. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit. It was written by men, but they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So are we actually saying that this God-breathed, inspired book is full of contradictions? That we're not sure whether to believe parts of it? Do you think that's what God would leave us? <laughs> I don't think so. We need to be careful what we say about this book. This is God-breathed. This is God's own inerrant and fallible words. And that's what we're to share. And that's what we're to stand for. That's what we're to believe in. And by the apostle Paul, he certainly did, didn't he? At great cost to himself. But he did that. He separated himself so that he would be a sanctified vessel unto God. And that's what we're to do even though it may cost us to do that, but that's what we're to do. Now, let me finish by saying this, and this is the reason why I said all that, because what I'm about to say may sound like a contradiction. We are not only sanctified vessels, but we are earthen vessels, not the ones that's talked about in 2 Timothy 2. He's talking there about false teachers and false teaching. We are earthen vessels. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 Paul said, for we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. Today much emphasis is placed on packaging and too often the package flatters to deceive. We are attracted, we are allured by the packaging. 
and then you buy it and you open up and the product is not good or not as good as you thought it was going to be by the packaging on the outside. And all of that is an advertiser's dream, isn't it? To, to attract us, to make us want to get it. And then you unwrap it and you're disappointed because it doesn't do what it says in the tin, as the ad says. Now we have this treasure, but it is in an earthen vessel. The earthen vessel may not be much to look at. The packaging, the wrapping may not be much to look at, but boy, the treasure inside is great. <laughs> the treasure inside is great. Man looks at the outward, God looks at the heart. The treasure inside each of us is great. We have got the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the divine trinity living in us, in each of us, in all of us. That's a treasure. We have got the Word of God in us. Let the Word of God dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, singing to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your hearts unto the Lord. There's something about the Word of God in us that comes up out of us, particularly in times of crisis. Boy, we need the Word of God, and we've got the Word of God. And we've got the gospel in us, haven't we? We've got the gospel in us. And when necessary, and when opportunity arises, we have the gospel to share. The greatest news that any human being on the face of the earth can hear is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is good news, the greatest news. Why do we not share it as often as we should? It's the best news, isn't it? I see those ads on TV. Is it that postcode lottery? And they go to somebody's door and they bring this big check out for 333,330 pounds and they go do lolly, don't they? This is life-changing, they say. The best news they've ever had, they say. And we have got the greatest news of all the good news of the gospel. And that can change a life forever. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Ephesians 1 and 7, Paul talks about the riches of his grace. Ephesians 1, 18, the riches of his glory. Romans 2 and 4, the riches of his goodness. That's a lot, isn't it? We are rich beyond words spiritually, if he could just see that tonight. We are full of riches. Did you see in the paper this week where the Indians are wanting to sue the Queen because of that great big 105 carat diamond, I think it is, that was taken from India, you know, during the Empire days, and it's in the, the Queen of England's uh, uh, crown right there. It's a beautiful diamond, and they want it back. They're basically saying you stole it from us. We're going to sue you to get it back. You know what? Let them keep it. <laughs> We've got better riches. Hallelujah. If you've got Christ, you've got everything. You've got riches that man doesn't even conceive, doesn't even under, begin to understand what riches that we've got tonight. So we're chosen vessels tonight. 
We're set apart vessels. We're sanctified. But this earthen body that we're in conceals so much. Thank God for the riches. What is it somebody says? Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. G-R-I-C-E. And that's true for us, isn't it? All of his riches has been given unto us. Glory to God. Now, so David, get to the good part. (laughs) I've been patiently waiting. Scripture that came to me early in the week, so forcibly, was Matthew 18, 19. If two of you agree on earth as touching anything that they ask, it will be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. Now I know in the context, actually, believe it or not, it was talking about church discipline. So I know that. Without looking up, I knew that. But it wouldn't let go. That one single scripture. And tonight, I'm not going to preach on it because I haven't got a sermon on it. You know, there's various types of prayers. You can get through them all. There's about 14 different types of prayers. But then there's the prayer of agreement. If two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything, anything that would be in the will of God, not just that you and me is going to agree together to win the lotto. (laughs) That wouldn't be in the will of God. Sure it wouldn't. But something, sometimes we have to agree together. And something happens whenever two believers agree together. More than what we can imagine. Once you'll put a thousand to flight, two ten thousand to flight. Something profound happens when two believers, or more, but when two believers at least, get together and agree for God to do something. So here's what I want you to do tonight. I know I'm springing this on you a wee bit. So think about it for a moment or two. I want you to get an agreement with somebody. Whether it's right now here or whether it's somebody that's in your mind but they're not here. It may be a dear friend. It may be a confidant. It may be a family member. It may be a prayer partner. It may be somebody. And you need to say to them, listen. Now you've got to tell them what it is. You can't ask anybody to agree with you if they know what it is because they know what they're agreeing to. That wouldn't be fair. Sure it wouldn't. But if you can tell them and say, here is something I want you, if you desire, to get an agreement with me and let's see God do something. There's a purpose in me saying this tonight. It would not let me go. So there's a reason for it. It may be just one person. (laughs) But you need to get an agreement with somebody and say, pray with me for this. Let us join together our hearts in this issue 
and trust and believe God for it to come to pass. And then you may be surprised what God will do. Why? Because we're acting on his word. We're saying, God, I'm trusting you. I'm believing you. I'm doing what you asked me to do in your word. And we're going to agree together and see this come to pass. Amen? Could we just stand just a moment? Now, because I just sprung that on you, you say, David, I, I just need a little bit of time to mull that over and think about it. Know what it is that I need to pray about. Know who I need to pray with. That's fair enough. That's good. That's right. That's proper. But I want you to do it. And then see, Lord, give you a breakthrough. See something happen. Maybe it's something you've been believing for for a long time. And you've been praying and praying and praying, and you really haven't seen the breakthrough that you wanted. Well, maybe it's just this extra step that you need to take. And it's a step of faith, isn't it? It's saying, God, I'm going to trust you to do this. My brother and my sister will join me. We'll add our faith together, our prayers together, and we're going to believe, Lord, for you to break through in this. Lord, there's men and women here tonight and they need a breakthrough. They need something to break and for the answer to burst through. I pray, Lord, that as they do this, Lord, even before this night is over, even in this building, Lord, in the quietness of a corner, and the privacy, Lord, of a corner, or when they go home or tomorrow, whenever it may be, then, Lord, is the act and faith believing that the miracle will come, that the change will happen, Hallelujah. that the breakthrough will ensue. It may be for a physical illness. It may be for a lost, backslidden loved one. It may be for whatever I don't know. But you know and God knows. So Lord, we trust you tonight, believing in your word. We take up the challenge and we say, yes, Lord, I will do this. And I will see a breakthrough in Jesus' name. Thank you for my brother and my sister who will join with me. Thank you for their heart and their faith and their desire to see this. So, Lord, we look to you tonight with expectation. And we ask you, Lord, to break through in our lives 
and grant that miracle that we need in the mighty and precious name of the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk. Thank you.